Thanks for joining us today for our Freedom Podcast. We are excited to grow with you. Today, you will hear a message from the life-changing Word of God. We hope this podcast adds value to your everyday life. If you want to find out more about this ministry, visit our website at wearefreedomlife.com. Welcome to Freedom. But um, so I'm gonna jump right into the word this morning. Um, can I tell you that that song right there though? Don't stop believing. Um, it's a, it's an awesome song, right? Um, a lot of people, I, I just I love the song. Like if if you take it, if you think about it, and you think about the lyrics. There's a lot of truth in those lyrics, right? Even like toward, towards the end, where it's talking about street lights, people, right? How many of you guys know that we are supposed to be a light in the streets? Right? And I just love the song. If you actually take some time and listen to the lyrics behind it, it's not just a club song or a bar song or anything like that, but there's a lot of truth into the lyrics of that song. And I want to encourage you guys today don't stop believing. Okay? Don't stop believing. God hears your prayers, He hears your prayers and He hears your cries. And God sees. He sees you, and he probably actually, not probably, he actually sees more in you than you do yourself. You know that? He sees more in you than you actually do yourself. Why? Because he created you. He created you, and he knows your original intent because he created you. And a lot of times, we are asking God for a breakthrough in something in our lives But in fact, do you know that he's already given us the breakthrough? He's already given us the breakthrough because it's already inside of us, because he planted it there already, because he created us. But oftentimes, it's us and how we view ourselves that's keeping us from stepping into that breakthrough, stepping into our purpose, and stepping into our destiny. And that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. It's usually because of those disappointments, circumstances, and experiences in our lives that we're not able to really tap into what God really has for us, right? But let's see if we can get beyond that this morning, amen? I'm going to jump into into the word here, Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 17. This is the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um... Just so you guys know kind of a little bit of how I got here, you, I, I, last time I spoke, I don't know if you guys were, some of you guys that were here, if you guys remember the last time that I spoke, I kind of shared a little bit of a journey between what Nisa and I have been going through. And uh, usually when I'm battling something in my life, I usually like to go to the word of God to search and look for people that are going through the same exact things that I'm going through and see how they handled it and see how they came out on the other side. And that's exactly what I did here, because this is the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. If you guys don't know the story, we're going to go through it here. Um, Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 14, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. <laughs> both, of them, both of them were righteous. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. That's a big compliment. For the Bible to be able to write of your life that you are righteous and blameless in God's sight. How many of you that would be written of you? (laughs) Right? So they were righteous and blameless, but in verse 7... It says, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then, and then... 
Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Come on, somebody. Come on, right? Your prayer has been heard. I want to let you know this morning that the God we serve, when we pray, he hears. Come on, when we pray, he hears. See, these, Zechariah and Elizabeth, these are good people, righteous and blameless. Good people who had an issue from the time that they were married young. Lived to an old age and the answer still didn't come, right? And can I tell you that, that living for Jesus is not the absence of trouble. Living for, listen, Jesus even said, in this world you will have trouble. But he doesn't stop there. He says, Take heart because I have overcome the world, right? But sometimes, sometimes we get ourselves into trouble because we live foul, right? But I want to talk to the people this morning who have been living and walking with the Lord and doing the right thing. But when you look over your shoulder, there's still an issue and it's been going on for years and years and years and years. And just like Zachariah and Elizabeth, it's not changing and your season has passed and now you're in this place now where you just don't know what's going to happen. And I'm here to tell you that just like Zachariah and Elizabeth, there's coming a then moment. Come on. There's coming a then moment to the mother that keeps praying for that child. Everybody gave up on your child, right? Everybody gave up on your child and said that there'll never be anything, but you're still praying. There's coming a then moment in your life. Come on, right? Where the Bible says that God answers prayers. Come on. That business will get a breakthrough. That marriage will be restored. That home will be joyous again. Come on. God will restore what the enemy tried to steal. Whatever this pandemic tried to take from God's people, God is able to turn it around because God answers prayers. Come on, somebody. Verse 13. The the angel said to Zechariah, your wife, or yeah, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will, he will be a joy and a delight to you. You will get what you prayed for. And many will rejoice because of his birth. Right here, Zachariah should have been on an organ, right? He should have been on an organ. He, he should have been tearing the synagogue up, right? He should have came out like with incense, just pouring it on people, right? Like on some next level praise, right? But no, This is years and years of the same problem. This is somebody who started out excited. They got married young, started out excited. Come on. How many of you guys are are married and still excited? (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) This is somebody who started out excited. But listen, but instead of being excited, this is what he said in verse 18. Zechariah, he said, Zechariah asked the angel, he says, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife and I are well along in years. How can I be sure of this? What's happening to him here? Listen to this point. Our circumstances and experiences can begin to shape the way that we speak. This is years of the same problem. He should be excited, right? So what he's saying is an indication of what he's been through. You can tell a lot about somebody by the way they speak. You can tell who never grew up. You can tell who's still bitter. You can tell who's still stuck at the divorce. You can tell who's still angry at mom and dad. You can tell who just can't let go. And so what they are saying is an indication of what they've been through. Our circumstances and experiences begin to shape the way that we speak. Unforgiveness is a big thing. 
You hear people say forgiveness is not for the other person, but it's for you. Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free when you're the prisoner, right? You guys heard that before. You are a prisoner if you are choosing to not forgive. And it's holding you back. I know it hurts. It's tough. But you've got to give it to God every single time that that thing comes up because we're not supposed to be carrying it. That's not for us to carry. And let me tell you why. Because if you do, you're going to carry it into your marriage. You're going to take it into your workplace. You're going to take it into the grocery store. You're going to take it into any other relationship that you may enter into. And you'll be carrying this thing around you wherever you go. And it's a weight. It's a weight that keeps you from your breakthrough. It's a weight that is keeping you from stepping into your purpose. It's a weight that is keeping you from your destiny. Let me show you. You know, suitcases are just like people, right? They're just like people. If you look at them, they look all nice on the outside, right? They look all nice on the outside. They got it all together and they look good. Take this suitcase, for instance. This one's nice. Right? It's got a hard cover, right? It's protecting whatever it's got in here. Maybe this is a person that has not forgiven, and so they put up walls. And they're protecting whatever they got inside of here. And that could be Love, greatness, all this stuff that they have to offer, but they're keeping it inside of here. And, they're not, and maybe because somebody in their life has hurt them. And so now they're not opening up and they put up a wall and they're not letting anybody else in. And it's a weight. But you wouldn't know that just by looking on the outside of it, right? How about this one? This one's cool. This one's nice. This one is probably like that person that, you know, that popular person that everybody wants to be like, that cool person. You know, it's got all the nice features. It's got chrome rims, right? These are 20s. No, they're 10s, but they keep them clean, <laughs> right? They're nice. It looks cool. It looks, it looks, this is the person that probably everybody wants to be like, right? Suitcases. <laughs> Let's go ahead and take a look on what's going on the inside of these suitcases here. Let's take a look at this one. Let's see. Oh. I I don't know who this is, but I can tell you that whoever it is, they like it their way. They've been to Burger King. Have it your way. <laughs> right? <laughs> what else they got going on? Oh, okay. This is somebody who just been through a change in their life. It's got an oil change. Right? I, I don't know. Maybe a breakup? Maybe a divorce? Something? A change happened in their life, right? I don't know. I don't know. Let's see, what else, what else we got going on in people today? Let's see what we got. What's in here? Oop, come on, you're going through a change. <laughs> what we got? What's in here? Oh, whoa, okay. I can tell this person right here, this person likes to play games. Uh-huh, player, Okay. I can tell by the game of life you got going on in your suitcase. Okay. Player, I see you. <laughs> oh, this one. I like this one. This one's going places. I like this one. I like them. You know why? Because they're moving. They're moving. Moving on up. Come on, right? <laughs> 
Oh, man, you guys are crazy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, get back together. <laughs> so suitcases, right, are just like people. We all got stuff in our places that come from the past or things that we've been through, right? And we all have it. It represents the stuff that we got going on inside of here, right? You guys think when, when, when we read that story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were righteous and blameless. Oftentimes we think this is what Zechariah looked like. Brand new. He's got tags on it. Got the plastic stuff still on it, right? But can I tell you? He was righteous and blameless, looking all brand new. Can I tell you, that wasn't Zechariah. That wasn't him. Zechariah wasn't that. Zechariah sat down at one time, at one point in his life, and he had big dreams. He was excited, right? And the first disappointment hit him. And when that first disappointment hit him, it started to break him a little bit. And this is what happens to all of us, right? And there was a time where you could have spoke pure. You could have spoke brand new, right? But now we start speaking from our failures, our hurts, and our bitterness, and our pains. And all these things here are a weight, and it's heavy, and you're carrying them around. Back when I was DJing and I also was doing acting and stuff like that on the side, I would have to travel a lot. I would travel a lot back and forth from here in New York, New Jersey. And what would happen was is I would go to one place just to be there for one night. But then I began to think about what to wear. And I'd be like, well, I could rock these, these jeans with this shirt and these sneakers. And before you know it, I'd have about three outfits. And I'd be like, which one should I take? And so I'd take all of them. And then my bag begins to grow, right? And so I'd be like, well, I could rock these shoes, and they could work with this, and they could work with that. And so I'm like, which one should I take? And guess what I do? I bring all my shoes, right? Then I have a computer that I used to travel with, but then they invented this thing called a notepad or a tablet. And the tablet is supposed to make the job of the computer, the things that you can do with a, with a computer easier. And so I'd be sitting there thinking, like, well, which one should I take? Should I take the computer or the notepad? And then I got a phone that does what the notepad does. And guess what I do? I take them all, right? And then I had two cameras. I had two cameras because back at the time, we lived in a MySpace world, <laughs> right? We live in a MySpace, but now we live in a Facebook, Instagram world, and I want to take all the pictures, and so I got two cameras, and they do the same thing, y'all. I promise you, they do the same thing, and so I'll be thinking, well, which one should I take? Because, you know, this one, the batteries might die on this one, and, you know, guess what I do? I take them all, right? So by time right now, you're probably thinking I'm crazy, right? So I got bags for electronics, bags for clothes, bags for sneakers. I got a lot of bags. But as terrible as I am, my wife, Nisa, <laughs> women and packing, y'all need help. <laughs> she would pack. Oh, she would pack. She, she would bring all her electronics. She should go to the closet, take everything out, put it in the bag. Then I see her jumping on the bag, sitting on the bag, trying to zipper it up. <laughs> right? Then she'd go to the closet for the shoes. She'd bring all the shoes, but it doesn't stop there, right? She might, she, she's thinking, well, I might like to read. <laughs> and I'm like, we're, we're, we're going on vacation. We ain't trying to read nothing. Read me. Look at me. Study me all day long. Study my features. We're trying to go on vacation. I ain't trying to read no book, right? <laughs> and then I see her bring a book. Then I see her grab a couple books. And before long, the whole library. <laughs> And back when, when, when we were living in Arizona, we would travel with a whole year's worth of birthday and Christmas gifts because we were just too cheap to send them all year long, right? <laughs> and so now we have a bag full of toys, and here we are looking like Mr. and Mrs. Claus. <laughs> 
Then she'd be saying, well, you know, these hotels, you just don't know what to trust anymore. I watch these TV shows. They got bed bugs. I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know what to trust anymore. And so I'm going to bring my own blankie. And then she starts bringing blankets and sheets and pillowcases. And before long, I'm going to bring my own towel. And then the whole house is in the luggage. And all of you women are the exact same way. <laughs> Come on. Chris. <laughs> Can I get your help up here? <laughs> Come on up here, man. <laughs> We're going to start down there, that end there. So, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> By the time I get to the airport, right, I'm looking like luggage man. I got luggage all over the airport, and this is no fun. I'm carrying bags for shoes, bags for clothes, bags for books, bags for electronics, bags for toys, bags for this, bags for that. And so here we are pulling up trying to get to the check-in counter. And some of you might say, why don't you, you know, just lessen the bags or, or, or put them down or, you know, just, just stop traveling with so many things, PC. Well, guess what? You are just like me. You are exactly the same like me. Some of you this morning, you got up and you picked up a couple bags before you left the house. As a matter of fact, every day you pick up these bags. I'm not talking about no physical bags now, right? I'm talking about the bag of depression. You pick up the bag of depression and you put it on you. You put it on you, and you're sad. Go ahead, look sad. <laughs> Some of you picked up the suitcase of suicide, right? And you put it on you, and you don't like yourself, and you walk around all day, and you look in the mirror, and you hate the way that you look, maybe because of what somebody else has said to you, and you didn't forgive them, so now you walk around with a low comfort level, wondering, what is everybody thinking about me? Some of you picked up the bag of pride. Can't nobody teach you or, or, teach you or, or tell you anything? Some of you picked up the bag of loneliness. <laughs> and every day you walk around so alone. Some of you, you didn't even pick up a bag. Some of you were given a bag. And that bag could have came from a divorce home. And every day you wish for the love of a father and it's never there. And it's a bag. And we're all carrying it. We're all carrying it. And you ask me, why don't I just lay down my bags? And I ask you, why don't you just lay down your bags? It's not easy, is it? I don't know. I could go on and on and on and tell you stories that I've seen with people with so many bags, but I know for sure that I don't even have to tell you about that because they're all here in this room. There's depression, there's suicide, there's loneliness, there's worriness, there's, confuse, there's confusion about tomorrow. You don't know what even tomorrow, what, you don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. You're fearful, you're scared, you don't know what's going to happen. And we got bags in this room. And it's a weight, and it's weighing you down, keeping you from the life that's within you. Your experiences shape you, and you begin to speak based on where you're from. And you speak from the point of which you've been hurt. You see, the reality of you isn't this. But because this is what's inside of you, all that will ever come out is what's in here. This is why the Word of God says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed and renew this. Because as long as this is corrupt, you're always speak corrupt, think corrupt, move corrupt, and you're going to attract corrupt people. 
when you speak, it shows what you really are. Right? Thank you, Chris. So, it's no wonder that when the angel of the Lord came to him, Zechariah, he wasn't running anywhere. What, he wasn't excited. What he's really telling the angel is, this is what I look like inside, bro. And I just can't be excited anymore. I just can't be joyful anymore. I can't be hopeful anymore. And you end up just going through the motions. And you merely just exist. But I want you to know this morning that the God we serve did not create you He did not create you to just exist, but to live. And I want to show you how this happens. We're going to go through the book of Song of Solomon. Okay? Song of Solomon. Um, Listen, there's so much in the book of Song of Solomon. And I wanted to actually go through and actually read all chapters 1 through 8. But I know we just don't have time. But man, as I was reading that, we're taking it from the Passion Translation. And as I was pulling it out and reading it, there was so much stuff that God was speaking to me about us. And, you know, it's one of the most ignored books in the Bible because a lot of people think of this book as being like a book of Christian erotica. And almost we feel guilty for reading it. But I'm telling you that that is such a shallow way of looking at this book. It's so much deeper than that. And I want us to be able to tap into what's really going on here. The early church understood this book to be a book that represented represented the relationship that we, the church, share with the bridegroom king, Jesus. And a book that helped you and I navigate the intimacy of bride and Christ. So this is not a story about Solomon and another woman that he hooked up with. This is a story about Jesus pursuing his bride, and you are the Shulamite, okay? I'm going to play the role of the bridegroom king, Nisa. She's going to be down here, and she's going to play the role of the Shulamite, which is you guys. And And what I want you guys to do is I want you to watch the exchange that goes on between the two of them. I'm Jesus, the bridegroom king, and she is you guys, a Shulamite, okay? The bridegroom king, Jesus, begins to pursue her, and she doesn't see herself correctly. So, she begi- so he begins to lavish her with identity, and she doesn't know how to receive it, because she's been beat down by religion, she's been beat down with exhaustion, and she's absolutely busy, and she doesn't know how to receive love. But listen to this. The way, that the, the way that the bridegroom king brings her in is he doesn't rebuke her for her busyness. He doesn't talk down to her. He doesn't shame her, and he doesn't guilt her. He looks past all the dirt and the darkness of her life, and he goes all the way to the deepest part of who she really was. And he begins to call it forth, verse by verse. And we're going to start at chapter 1, verse 5. The Shulamite will begin. Jerusalem maidens, in this twilight darkness, I know I am so unworthy, so in need. Yet you are so lovely. I feel as dark and dry as the desert tents of the wandering nomads. Yet you are so lovely like the fine linen tapestry hanging in the holy place. Please don't stare in scorn because of my dark and sinful ways. My angry brothers quarreled with me and appointed me guardian of their ministry vineyards. Yet I've not tended my vineyard within. Won't you tell me, lover of my soul, where do you feed your flock? Where do you lead your beloved ones to rest in the heat of the day? Why should I be like a veiled woman as I wander among the flocks of your shepherds? So, what's going on here in verse number 6 here? My angry brothers quarreled with me and appointed me guardian of their ministry vineyards. Yet I have not tendered my vineyard within. 
So what she's saying is she's been charged over other people's ministry, but yet has not dealt with her own heart yet. Doesn't that not sound like the church today? Right? There's so much division in the church because people don't even know who they are. They don't know what to believe, and they don't know what truth is, so they don't know how to receive it. So she's trying to take care of everybody else's vineyards when hers is unhealthy. And the shepherd king responds back to her and he says, Listen, radiant one, if you ever lose sight of me, just follow in my footsteps where I lead my lovers. Come with your burdens and cares. Come to the place near the sanctuary of my shepherds, my dearest one. Let me tell you how I see you. Come on. You were so thrilling to me to gaze upon you as like looking at one of Pharaoh's finest horses, a strong regal steed pulling his royal chariot. Your tender cheeks are so beautiful. Your earrings and gem-laden necklaces set them ablaze. We will enhance your beauty with golden ornaments studded with silver. As the king surrounded me at his table... The sweet fragrance of spikenard awakened the night. A sachet of myrrh is my lover, like a tied-up bundle of myrrh resting over my heart. He is like a bouquet of henna blossoms, henna plucked near the vines at the fountain of the Lamb. I will hold him and never let him part. My darling, you are so lovely. You are beauty itself to me. Your passionate eyes are like gentle doves. My beloved one, Both handsome and winsome, you are pleasing beyond words. Our resting place is anointed and flourishing like a green forest meadow bathed in light. Rafters of cedar, branches are over our heads, and balconies of pleasant smelling pines. End of chapter 1. That's chapter 1, Song of Solomon. So she wants to tell me, the bridegroom king, she wants, to, she wants to tell the bridegroom king, I'm dark and I'm dirty. And he says, no, but you're lovely. Come on. And every time she brings forth a part of her fallen nature, he meets it with perfect identity. Right? Every time she brings up a problem, he speaks a better word over, to her. And I'm telling you that the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon... I'm telling you, if we can just tap in to how the bridegroom king speaks to the bride, he's going to teach us how to speak to this generation. Right? Because if you haven't noticed already, this generation that we're living in right now, this generation is not going to be reached by legalism. It's not going to be reached by religion or condemnation or guilt. I believe that this is the Jesus generation, and the only way that they're going to be able to respond is, is, is by the Jesus revelation, right? Listen, Jesus doesn't shame people into holiness. He doesn't condemn people into holiness. He doesn't guilt people into holiness. If Jesus was that kind of a man, he could have easily shunned the adulterous woman. But listen to this. He doesn't dig into her dirt. He actually starts writing into the dirt of the religious people that has the stones in their hands ready to throw at her. The only time that you're going to find Jesus mingling in dirt is when he wants to expose religion. The only time that you're going to find Jesus mingling in dirt is when he wants to expose religion. But for those that really need him, He looks past all the dysfunction and calls them for who they really are. We need to take note of that, people. And he looked past everything wrong with the woman that fell in adultery. And he spoke to the seed that was already inside of her because he put it there. And he said, listen, you're going to go from this encounter with me and sin no more. This is the assignment on our life, is to remind people and show people who they really are in Christ. We need to take note of what's happening here with the exchange. Jesus looks into your original intent, and he's, 
and it's not that he ignores sin, okay? He doesn't ignore sin. He just knows that what he put inside of you is greater than the sin that you're currently in. And so what he's going to do is he's going to speak to that greater part of you. Come on, right? And so that's what he does. He just speaks that thing until it comes forth. And you're going to see that that's exactly what happens here in chapter 2, verse 1. I am truly his rose, the very theme of his song. I'm overshadowed by his love, like a lily growing in the valley. Yes, you are, my darling companion. You stand out from all the rest. For though the thorns surround you, though the thorns surround you, but you remain as pure as a lily more than all the others. My beloved is to me the most fragrant apple tree. He stands above the sons of men, sitting under his gray shadow. I blossom in his shade, enjoying the sweet taste of his pleasant, delicious fruit, resting with delight where his glory never fades. Suddenly he transported me into his house of wine. He looked upon me with his unrelenting love divine. Revive me with your raisin cakes. Refresh me again with your apples. Help me and hold me, for I am lovesick. I am longing for more, yet how could I take more? His left hand cradles my head while his right hand holds me close. I am at rest in this love. Promise me, Jerusalem maidens, by the gentle gazelles and delicate deer, that you'll not disturb my love until she is ready to arise. Listen. I hear my lover's voice. I know it's him coming to me, leaping with joy over mountains, skipping in love over the hills that separate us to come to me. Let me describe him. He is graceful as a gazelle, swift as a wild stag. Now he comes closer, even to the places where I hide. He gazes into my soul, peering through the portal as he blossoms within my heart. So what's he saying here in chapter 2? In verse, in verse 2, he says, You stand out from all the rest, for though the thorns surround you, you remain pure as a lily more than all the others. So you are called to be something different. You are called to stand out from the rest. You are called to be in the thorns. You are called to be in the world Come on. You are called to be in the world, surrounded by thorns. That's the world, but not of the world, because you're called to stand out. In verse 3 through 4, you'll, you'll, you'll see that she starts to feel what it is that he's saying about her, and she's starting to now open up, and she's starting to take it in. But in verse 5, she's not totally there yet. Because she says, revive me, refresh me, help me, hold me, for I am lovesick and longing for more. And then in verse 8, she says, listen, I hear my lover's voice. I know it's him coming. She knows his voice. Why? Because he's been speaking to her identity. My sheep know my voice. And he speaks back to her, and I love what he responds, how he responds. This is, this, is, this is exactly what I want us to tap into here this morning. The shepherd king speaks back to her in verse 10, and he says, The one I love calls to me. Arise, my dearest. Hurry, my darling. Come away with me. I have come, as you have asked, to draw you to my heart and lead you out. For now is the time, my beautiful one. The season has changed. Come on, somebody. The bondage of your barren winter has ended, and the season of hiding is over and gone. The rains, of, the rains have soaked the earth and left it bright with blossoming flowers. The season for singing and pruning the vines has arrived. I hear the cooing of the doves in our land, filling the air with songs to awaken you and guide you forth. Can you not discern this new day of destiny? Come on, our destiny. Breaking forth around you, the budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers, there is change in the air. 
Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to a higher place. Come on, somebody. To a higher place. For now is the time to arise and come away with me. For you are my dove, hidden in the, in the split open rock. It was I who took you and hid you up high in the secret stairway of the sky. Let me see your radiant face and hear your sweet voice. How beautiful your eyes of worship and lovely your voices in prayer. Oh, and this part right here is what I love. Verse 15, you must catch those troubling foxes, those sly little foxes that hinder our relationship. What is keeping you from Jesus? For they raid our budding vineyard of love and ruin what I have planted inside of you. Come on, that's what we're talking about today. Will you catch them and remove them for me? We will do this together. Oh, come on. Verse 16. I know my lover is mine, and I have everything in you, for we delight ourselves in each other. But until the day springs to life and the shifting shadows of fear disappear, turn around, my lover, and ascend to the holy mountains of separation without me. Until the new day fully dawns, run on ahead like the graceful gazelle and skip like the young stag over the mountains of separation. Go on ahead to the mountain of spices. I'll come away another time. Hmm. She knows who her lover is. But she's still living in fear and feels unworthy. So she tells him to turn around and go without her. Because she doesn't feel like she's good enough yet. There's so much revelation just in what the bridegroom king said back to her right there. From, for instance, verse one or, or uh, verse ten, I have come just have just as you have asked. Ask anything of my name, and I will do it. Come on, right? Verse eleven, your barren winter has ended. The season of hiding is over and gone. Listen, you don't have to hide anymore. Anything that you are hiding from will come out in the light, right? But the exposure of the light, listen, the exposure is only to awaken you and guide you forth so that his plans and purpose for you can burst forth. That's what exposure is. That's what exposure is. Exposure is not to condemn you. Exposure is not to condemn you, but it's to awaken you and enhance you. Because when you're exposed to the light, and maybe your flaws are coming up or something, it's only to be exposed so that you could deal with it so that you don't have to hold on to those things anymore. Right? Some of you have been so scared of the light because you're afraid of what you might find. You're worried it's going to expose you. But he says, no, it's only going to enhance you. That's the only way that this thing works. Being scared of the light is what's holding you back. Verse 13, run with me to a higher place. So he's calling us to a higher place, right? Verse 14, let me see you. Listen, you are hiding from him just like Eve was in the garden. And then verse, verse 15, he asks her to catch those little foxes, those sly little foxes that hinder their relationship, that keeps them back, and raids their vineyard of love to ruin what he planted in your vineyard, in you. And that's what I want to get into here this morning, but let's just finish this up here real quick. Chapter 3, verse 1. Night after night, I'm tossing and turning on my bed of travail. Why did I let him go from me? How my heart now aches for him, but he is nowhere to be found. So I must rise in search of him, looking throughout the city, seeking until I find him. Even if I have to roam through every street, nothing will keep me from my search. Where is he, my soul's true love? He is nowhere to be found. Then I encountered the overseers as they encircled the city. So I asked them, have you found him, my heart's true love? Just as I moved past them, I encountered him. I found the one I adore. 
I caught him and I fastened myself to him, refusing to be feeble in my heart again. Now I'll bring him back to the temple within me where I was given new birth into my innermost parts, the place of my conceiving. Promise me, O Jerusalem maidens, by the gentle gazelles and delicate deer, that you'll not disturb my lover until she is ready to arise. Chapter 3. Here she is. Once he left, she couldn't take it. Once he left her, she couldn't take it. She was restless and she couldn't sleep. Why is she agitated? Why is there frustration? Why is there restlessness? Because she knows she's great. You see, greatness is already in you. He already planted it in there, in you, in your vineyard. And so he's calling you up to a higher place. But what we do, just like the Shulamite does, because remember, that's us. We're the Shulamite, is that we allow these little foxes, just like in chapter 2, we allow these little foxes to keep us grounded so that we can't ascend to a higher place with him. That's the weight that's keeping us down, not able to ascend. You guys get that? One night when I was coming home, I pulled into my driveway and I saw a fox. I saw a fox and I thought, whoa, that was actually pretty cool because I don't really see them very often, right? And so I was like, God, like, what does that mean? And so I Googled foxes. And what's interesting here, some of you guys might know this, but foxes are nocturnal meaning that they are mainly active at night, which is very interesting given what we're talking about because she's living in darkness. Foxes in their natural habitat, they're not even aggressive. They're not aggressive at all. They are actually spooked very easily. But if they are left alone, they could ravage and destroy your whole garden or vineyard. Hmm. So foxes, all they want you to do is leave them alone. Don't deal with them. That's all they want. Don't deal with the foxes. Let them eat. Let them come in and continue to come in and raid your vineyard within. Don't deal with them. Foxes in the natural, that's how they are. The foxes in the Song of Solomon are the same way. If you don't deal with them in your mind, just let them come and eat and they'll continue to destroy your vineyard within and destroy your relationship with him. All these little foxes are thoughts that are destroying your vineyard inside of you. Keeping you from ascending to a high place. Making you think that you're not good enough. Making you think that your failures are your identity. All those little foxes will cause you to lower your standards and have you make concessions, which, which is you giving and accepting something as true and you grant it the right for it to be there. And can I tell you, that fox that was on my property, it doesn't belong to me. And just because it was on my property doesn't mean that it's mine. However, if I feed it, then I am inviting it in to stay. And I believe that there are people here that are literally being held captive because they've let foxes become their possession. They're just foxes. They're not you. They're just foxes. These foxes are areas of our lives that we have not yet allowed the victory of Christ to shine into. These foxes are areas of our lives that we have not yet allowed the victory of Christ to shine into. Come on. That fox, when I pulled into my driveway and my headlights hit it, that fox took off. It was exposed and it took off because they're spooked very easily. Catching foxes is not about measuring who you are, your identity. It's about eliminating every thought that keeps you from who you are. I know you didn't ask me to say it again, but I'm going to because I thought that was really good. Catching foxes 
is not about measuring who you are. It's about eliminating every thought that keeps you captive and wants to compete with who you really are. So the Shulamite, she is being showered with identity, and now the shepherd king is calling her to ascend. But before she can ascend, there's one thing he asked for her to take care of, and it's those little foxes. Chapter 4, the bridegroom king, verse 1. Listen, my dearest darling, you are so beautiful. You are beauty itself to me. Your eyes are like gentle doves behind your veil. What devotion I see each time I gaze upon you. You are, like a, you are like a sacrifice ready to be offered. When I look at you, I see how you have taken my fruit and tasted my word. Your life has become clean and pure, like a lamb washed and newly shorn. You now show grace and balance with truth on display. Your lips are as lovely as Rahab's scarlet ribbon, speaking mercy, speaking grace. The words of your mouth are as refreshing as an oasis. What pleasure you bring to me. I see your blushing cheeks open like the halves of a pomegranate, showing through your veil of tender meekness. When I look at you, I see your inner strength. So stately and strong, you are as secure as David's fortress. Your virtues and grace cause a thousand famous soldiers to surrender to your beauty. Your pure faith and love rest over your heart as you nurture those who are yet infants. Can I tell you guys something? Do you know we have power when we step into our identity, we have power once we're able to get rid of the foxes, get rid of everything, and step into our identity. We have power. Look at what he is saying to her. She's not walking in shame anymore. She shows grace and balance. She speaks a good word out of her mouth. She is strong like David's fortress, and her virtues and grace causes a thousand famous soldiers to surrender. Come on. When you are with him, you are walking in your identity. And when you are walking in your identity, no weapon formed against you can prosper. You are the head and not the tail, somebody. Come on. When you are with him, you have power. And then with great power comes great responsibility. Now she is nurturing those who are yet infants. That's discipleship, people. That's true ministry right there. When you can look at the inside of a person and say, okay, I'm not even going to deal with that because if I deal with your dirt, you're just going to manage dirt. But if I speak to who you really are, you're going to start living like I say who you are. Verse 6, the Shulamite. I've made up my mind. Until the darkness disappears and the, lo- and the dawn has fully come, in spite of shadows and fears, in spite of shadows and fears, I will go to the mountaintop with you, the mountain of suffering love and the hill of burning incense. I've made up my mind. Yes, I will be your bride. Again? Yes, I will, again. You you want to renew our vows right now? Come on, babe. (laughs) She said yes again, people. Come on. (laughs) Even after all these years, I can't believe she's saying yes again. (laughs) Why are you all laughing? (laughs) She accepts his invitation. She accepts it all. Even knowing that shadows and fear will still come. In the beginning, she wouldn't go because of fears, because of shadows, because she was unworthy, dirty, but now she knows she's great. Because he kept speaking that into her, calling it out, and what happens is she accepts his invitation. And in verse 7, 
he sees it differently. And he says, every part of you is so beautiful, my darling. Perfect is your beauty without flaw within because she's gotten rid of the foxes. Now you are ready, my bride, to come with me as we climb the highest peaks together. Come with me through the archway of trust. We will look down from the crest of of the glistening mounts and from the summit of our sublime sanctuary, from the lion's den and the leopard's lair. For you reach into my heart with one flash of your eyes. I am undone by your love. My beloved, my equal, my bride. You leave me breathless. I am overcome by merely a glance from your worshiping eyes. For you have stolen my heart. I am held hostage by your love and by the graces of righteousness shining upon you. How satisfying to me, my equal, my bride. Your love is my finest wine, intoxicating and thrilling, In your sweet perfume praises, so exotic, so pleasing. Your your, your loving words are like the honeycomb to me. Your tongue releases milk and honey, for I find the promised land flowing within you. That right there could preach alone. The fragrance of your worshiping love surrounds you with scented robes of white. My darling bride, my private paradise, fastened to my heart. A secret spring that no one else can have are you. My bubbling fountain hidden from public view. What a perfect partner to me now that I have found you. Your inward life is now sprouting, bringing forth fruit. What a beautiful paradise unfolds within you. When I'm near, I smell aromas of the finest spice. For many clusters of my exquisite fruit now grow within your inner garden. And here are the nine. Pomegranates, henna, spikenard, saffron, calamus, cinnamon, branches of scented woods, myrrh, and aloe. Oh, man. Verse 7 through 12 They're now married, right? They're now married. And when you get married, you become one together, right? And when you become one, you take and share his name. So can I tell you, you are creative. You are smart. You are intelligent. You have the wisdom of God. You have the righteousness of God. The creator is, is now on the inside of you because you take his name. You are one. You are the righteousness of God and you share everything of him. Everything. Verse 13 through 14, he says his nine exquisite fruits now grow inside of you. So you share everything of him because you are now one. And if I had time, I, I wish I had time to break down the nine different fruits. It was, it was just really phenomenal. When I was doing a study, breaking it down what each nine fruit is, I encourage you, you know, when you leave here sometime this week, go back and study it out what those nine fruits are. It will blow you away. Verse 16, the Shulamite. Awake, awake, oh north wind. Awake, awake, oh south wind. Blow over me. Breathe on my garden with your spirit wind. Stir up the sweet spice of your life within me. Spare nothing as you make me your fruitful garden. Hold nothing back until I release your fragrance. Come walk with me as you walked with Adam in your paradise garden. Come taste the fruits of your life in me. Wow. Hmm. Hold nothing back until I release your fragrance. Come walk with me as you walked with Adam in your paradise garden. What she is saying here is take me back to the beginning. Take me back to the garden, my original intent. Take me back before my fallen nature. 
take me back to the beginning where I'm in the garden with you, spending an eternity in relationship with you. How you created me. Take me back. Just as you were walking with Adam in the garden. Take me back to the beginning where it all started. Hmm. Like I said, I wanted to actually go through the whole book, all eight chapters with you this morning, but we don't have the time to do that. But like I said, I encourage you to go back and read it for yourself and see what God reveals to you, the remaining chapters. There's so much more into it, but just as a quick overview, what you'll notice, if you go back and read it, what you'll notice is if you go back and finish the remaining of the book, he continues to pursue her, and she gets to a place in her life where all the foxes are now gone, and she is walking in her full identity, and she starts climbing the mountains. And eventually, watch this, eventually the brides-to-be the other people, eventually the brides-to-be that only had good things to, sh- to say about Jesus, the shepherd king, now they have to testify about the Shulamite. And they say, who is this woman arising up out of her desert, clinging to her beloved? Why are they asking that? Because she is so unrecognizable from the person she was before she took this journey with him. In the beginning, she was speaking everything from where she came from. Now when she got rid of those foxes, she's unrecognizable. No, I wish I had more time to go into it. What's awesome, though, is as she gets to that place of knowing who she really is, at the end, she actually starts speaking over the shepherd king, and what he spoke over her from the beginning, she starts to say it over him. So now she sounds just like him. Hmm. You got to read it. You got to go back and read it. If we go back to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, like I said, she started speaking like him, right? But if you go back to the story with Zechariah and Elizabeth, when Zechariah questioned and said, How can I be sure of this? Gabriel basically said, Because I'm Gabriel. <laughs> and because you did not believe, you're going to be silent. He couldn't talk. And the way you're going to be able to talk again is when you stop speaking from where you are and you begin to speak from where I am. From I am. You get it? You're not going to be able to speak again until you declare his name is what I said it's going to be. You're not going to be able to speak again until you say what God says. Until you start speaking what God says. And the Bible says this. If you go ahead in Luke chapter 1 verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby. She gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. And they shared her joy. On the eighth day they came to to, to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, and worship team, if you guys want to come on up. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his, fa- after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up, and she said, No, he is to be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives whose name is John. Then they made signs to his father, like, hey, you, you ain't talking nine months. You gonna talk now? (laughs) To find out what he was gonna do to to name that child. Mm. And he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately, 
in verse 64, you'll see it up there. Immediately, the Bible says, his mouth was open and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. Right away, he went right into worship, praising God, meaning the bitterness was no longer there. Because he spoke what God said, his mouth was released. He was silent, wasn't able to speak until he said what God said. And I'll close with this. Ask God to help you believe again. And one of the ways that you can do that is by saying what God says.